In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Father, we thank you for the entrance of your word. It brings light. It illuminates, it energizes, it challenges, and where necessary, it chastises. Let that be exactly what happens. Uh, we give you all the glory in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I mean, today's part five of the series we've been doing, Oh God, Who Am I? And the whole uh, thrust of the series was to help us rediscover our identity. We said at the beginning that the enemy committed this great heist, this massive theft, where he stole the identity of mankind. And as a result, once man lost his identity, uh, man started to behave like every other thing other than what he was supposed to be. Uh, the, 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 the theft of man's identity introduced confusion, uh, took away all kinds of boundaries, brought negative emotions, and man acted out of those things. And that's the, the result we see is a lot of the brokenness and the pain and the hurt that is in our world. We also saw that God's intention was that with a knowledge of who he was, once man could say, I am, man was supposed to function at his optimum. And we concluded that it is impossible to succeed in life. It's impossible to reach your destination. It is impossible to live a fulfilled life until a person fully understands who they are. And for us to understand who we are, it, we have to go back to who, we, who God made us to be in his image and his likeness. And so we've gone through uh, four parts. And today is part five um, of this teaching. And today we wanted to talk about our defenses. I want to say that I, I, I've prepared these, these messages and they have completely changed my life. They have changed how I approach prayer. They have changed especially how I read and study the Bible. Because I realize that this whole thing is an image issue. I read the Bible now looking for God and Christ in a way that I never used to before. Not that I didn't, but I do it even with more intensity because I realize that the more I can find them and, and the more I know I'm in, I'm in their image, then the more I become like them. Amen? So today we want to do something I call our defenses. How do we defend ourselves against the attack of the enemy? We know that the enemy attacks with a whole battery of lies as he bombards our minds to try and steal our identity. How do we defend ourselves uh, against his attacks. We, in part four, we used as a template to explain the classic attack of Satan. The scriptures in Matthew, the fourth chapter, from verses one to 11. And you know the story. The, the uh, Lord Jesus, after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, was led into, well, after fasting for 40 days, was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And Satan comes against him and really attacks his mind. And as audacious as it might sound to you, Satan's intention 
was to steal the identity of the Son of God. One attack after another. His intention was to try and sow confusion into the mind of Christ as to who Christ was. But then we read that as Satan would come and attack him, trying to sow confusion as to his identity, we read that Jesus would respond by the word of God. Amen? And all that attack that took place, the battlefield was in the mind. All this was happening in Jesus' mind. Satan was speaking into his mind. Jesus was responding from his mind even when he spoke the words. The battlefield for us is always the mind. If you win the battle of the mind, you win this war. A person is only as sound as their mind is. If a mind is poisoned, a life is poisoned. That's why Jesus says in Mark, the 7th chapter and the 15th verse, it's not what goes into the body that defiles you. You are defiled but what come, by what comes from your heart. You might look at the person next to you and it doesn't look like they are in a war. But I assure you there is a war going on in their minds. As long as you are alive, the enemy is always trying to attack us in our minds because he understands that we are really what we are in our minds. We play out whatever is going on in our minds. If our minds are defiled, our lives end up being defiled. And so the person might not look like they're in a war, but I guarantee you that there is some war raging in their minds. That wise king puts it like this in Proverbs, the fourth chapter and the 23rd verse. He says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the cause of life. If I want to affect the cause of your life, I, I just have to affect your mind. If I can damage your mind, cause wounds to create wounds in your mind, poison your mind, adulterate your mind, then I can, I can affect the cause of your life. You know, one translation says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. So if, if I want to affect life in a person and I am the enemy, my focus is the mind of the person. For we will all act out what is on our hearts or in our minds. Can someone say amen? amen. And of course, we talked about his objective. His object, objective is simple, create confusion in the minds. Because the moment he can create confusion, the moment we are not sure in our minds who we are, we start to act out with multiple personalities. We start to do things that we, we, we wouldn't even have imagined we would do simply because we are no longer sure in our minds who we are. We receive the lies that confirm a false identity and we act out that false identity. So you see it everywhere. Once Satan gets into the minds, young men on the streets stab young people. Once Satan gets into the mind of a husband and he completely is confused as to who he is, he doesn't realize that he is there to protect the family, provide for the family, be a servant leader. He suddenly starts to hit his wife physically because he's suddenly, his, his, his mind is confused as to his identity. If a child does not know 
the role of a parent, the child becomes disrespectful to the parent because Satan has confused, and the list goes on and on and on. And of course, his classic weapons are, are words and thoughts. He simply wants to change a person's thinking. He wants to infiltrate a person's mind and pervert a person's perception of himself, knowing that once that perversion is complete, the person will work it out in their lives. We will see the fruits of the perversion. And how does he attack the mind? There's nothing new, frankly, that Satan does. All his weapons are age-old weapons. He's used them from the beginning of creation and he's still using them now. He attacks the mind in what I call a three-pronged attack. 1 John 2 verse 15 and 16, the Amplified Classic version of that scripture says this. He says, do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification, and the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life and assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things, these things do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. Now, what does Satan do to attack the mind? He uses what exists in the world. That's what the Bible says. He uses this platform to attack the mind. Of course, his aim is confusion, but these three things provide a platform. And if you look at all the examples we have looked at, whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden, how Satan got them and confused them as to who they were, whether, it was his, whether it's his attempt to confuse Jesus, we just read the scriptures in Matthew, the fourth chapter, or any of the other attacks that we have, might have spoken about, um, the attack against David's mind when he was on the roof while other kings were at battle, and, and the resultant, uh, uh, his resultant um, liaison with, with uh, Bathsheba, when you look at all these things, it's the same strategy the enemy uses. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh. The, the desire, temptation, urge for physical pleasure in the body from some, from, from some sinful act. Where a person is driven by an inordinate desire, an urge to do something the person knows the person shouldn't do. It's, 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 out, of bound, it's out of bounds by, by God's law. But the person, the body, the flesh of the person so craves it that the person bows to that inordinate desire and ends up doing something that provides a gateway for the enemy to get into that person's mind and so he seeds where a person is just caught up by sexual desire. The person knows, but the person can't help himself. The person's flesh is craving gratification from that sexual act. Where a person can't help themselves, the spirit of glut glut gluttony is, is so strong. The person's desire for that food to gratify the person's body drives them to do what they shouldn't do. Where a person is driven into gossip because there's a gratification that comes to the person's body as they engage in, 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 in that gossip. 
It's just the lust of the flesh. The, the word lust really is simplified, means the longing and inordinate desire of the flesh. And what is the flesh? The flesh is that carnal part of us, of our lives. That part of our lives that is without the Spirit of God. And if, if we don't bring the entire body under the Spirit of God, that part will always cry out for gratification. Eve looked at the fruit and it was good for food. And the result, the rest is history. And that's what the enemy tried to do with Jesus. Tried to see if he could get his flesh to lust after something and as a result cause him to disobey God and consequently sow confusion in his mind. He says to Jesus in the third verse of the fourth chapter, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And you know, typical of him, he came at, in inverted commas, the right time because Jesus was weak, Jesus was hungry, Jesus was tired, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was fasting not as the Son of God, he was fasting as a man, as you and I, and so he was weak in, the, in his flesh, he was tired. And the enemy comes and says, listen, just, you are, you're, you're the Son of God, convert these, loaves, these stones to loaves of bread. But then Jesus knew if he succumbed to that, he would have aligned himself with the enemy. It was a plot of the enemy. Thank God he was submitted totally to the Spirit of God. Thank God that his flesh was dead completely. And so he says to the enemy, no, and he rebukes him. But it's a fight that we all have to fight, where our flesh rears its ugly head, and our body longs for some physical gratification. And then he talks about the, the, the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes. That's that inordinate desire to have those things that we see. Coveting material things and possessions. Just wanting those material things. And we all struggle with that. And the extent to which we are victorious is the extent to which our, uh, that part of us has died as we are submitted to the Spirit of God. I mean, you see all kinds of things. People, people do all kinds of things for material things. All kinds. People buy things that they have no right buying just because of an inordinate desire to have it. People drive cars they have no right driving. The, the monthly payments are killing them. But there's a buzz they get when they drive into Jesus' house car park and people notice them. Their, their flesh is being gratified. Their eyes have lusted after things. People walk by shop windows and, 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 and the things in the shop window are literally lost. They are lusting after them and the things are engaging in some inordinate relationship, calling them to lie with it. The Bible says when Eve looked at the fruit and it was appealing, the Bible says it was pleasing to her eyes, an inordinate desire rose in her. She thought, I must have that fruit. And haven't we all been there? where we see something and we think, I must have this. I must have the latest phone. I have no savings whatsoever, but I must have the latest iPhone X, whatever it is. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what those things are. Samsung 10 or whatever it is. And people will do all kinds of things. I must have the latest bag. I simply must get my hands on those shoes. And people will do all kinds and just an in the lust of the eyes. And Satan tried to do the same with Jesus. In verses 8 and 9, 
It says, next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And listen to what the devil said. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. I mean, he showed Jesus the thing, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. It was dazzling. It was appealing. It was calling out to him. You know, when you go to some of these stores, I was walking by Harrods. I like wristwatches. There's a window display of a wristwatch. They had snowflakes falling on the wristwatch. The wristwatch was spinning around in, on something, and snowflakes were falling on the wristwatch. And then the wristwatch was spinning around. I stopped there and I looked at the thing. Everything in me was just thinking, I, I, I wanted to put my hand through the glass and just grab the wristwatch. I said, these people are dangerous. If I had the money, I probably would have just postponed the children's school fees just to buy that wristwatch. That's how powerful those things are. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you see a pair of shoes and you can't sleep. Ah, those shoes. You go to work, people say, what's wrong? You say, those shoes. Eventually you're paid. And you have many things to do. Straight to the shop and you pay for those shoes. And then you enter Christianese, God will provide for the rest. Just a lust of the eyes. He said, to, he said to Jesus, he said, just look at the dazzling glory of these kingdoms. He says, it's all yours. Just fall down and worship me. And Satan is a master at using visual images to entice. Materialism beckons. Social media screams at us. Instagram pictures. And we forget that it is not possible for everybody to look so good every day. But when they put it there, we want to be like them. People are, are cutting their bodies and, and chopping their bodies and sewing their bodies together just to try and be like someone. Billboards, magazines, movies, television, all like Potiphar's wife's seductive call to Joseph are calling seductively to us and saying, lie with me. That's why... When, 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 when Satan completely messes up a person's mind, steals the person's identity, the person can kill another person for their trainers. It's madness. That the person just so desperately wants those trainers that if a life has to go for me to get those trainers, so be it. If I have to sleep with a guy just so that I can get a bar, uh, uh, the latest Chanel bag, so be it. So it's just one night. If I have to tell a lie just so that I can satisfy some material urge. Then it's, it's a blue lie, it's not a, it's not a black one, so be it. And then he talks about the pride of life, third platform. The seductive temptation to pride and arrogance, the elevation of self, the exact opposite of the Christ-like virtue of humility that is the trait of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where people are just proud. You know, why should he talk to me like that? Why should she talk to me like that? Why does he have to treat me like that? The arrogance. And you know, people couch arrogance and pride in all kinds of things. You know, there's, there's a naked, unabashed, crude pride. But there's sophisticated pride. And there's the pride that people couch in religion. You know, people go to a place and they expect to be seated somewhere. They expect it. And if no one sits them there, they are irritated. They forget that what Jesus says to us is that when you go there, sit at the back so that let them come and call you to the front. But they expect it. That's who I am. People use words like self-made. That's the stupidest term I've ever heard. Self-made. 
you made yourself? Really? People are proud of their intellect. They don't give glory to God anymore. They are proud of their pedigree. They are proud of their achievements. And that's how the enemy tried to mess Eve up. What was his temptation to her? You will be like God. That's what he was saying to her. In effect, he was saying, you really shouldn't be where you are. This God cannot be a good God because he doesn't want you to arise. He doesn't want you to, to step into that place where you are like God. He tempted Jesus in the same way, cajoling and taunting him into a rash and brash display of power, appealing to his pride. When he said to him, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. Jump off. They will catch you. They won't let you hurt yourself, your foot on a stone. Jump off. And it's interesting that he said it with such subtlety and with such, such a scheming bent because he even quoted scripture. He was quoting Psalms 91 verses 11 and 12. But then Jesus understood that He's trying to get me to rashly display power. Of course I'm the son of God. I don't have to prove to you I'm the son of God. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying in his, in his, in his answer, Jesus was saying, I know who I am. You don't have, I don't need Satan to come and tell me if you are the son of God. Jesus was saying, are you, are, you, are you a joker? I'm the son of God. And I don't need your confirmation of the fact that I'm the son of God. And I don't need to show you by a rash display of power that I'm the son of God. Of course, if Jesus jumped off, the, the angels would catch him. Of course they would catch him. But I don't need to display it for you. And how many of us display our lives for others? That's what we, that's what we do if we're truthful to ourselves. We're displaying it for others. We want others to see. It's an element of the pride that is in us. So what's our defense to all these things? What's our defense? I found this piece of information very interesting. If, in theory... The nations that might be likely to do something like that might be North Korea or Iran, let's just imagine, launches a, a nuclear missile attack against America. The Americans have a missile protection system in theory. They are interceptor missiles that are based in California and Alaska. They are programmed to intercept enemy missiles and destroy them before they can hit America. That's what they're programmed to do. In fact, the system is based on a complex system of radar on the ground, satellite systems in the air. And the whole idea of this system is that once a country launches a missile against America, the radar pick it up, the satellite systems pick it up, and they send a message to the interceptor missiles. And the interceptor missiles take off, and the, the, the theory is that they, they destroy those missiles before they hit America, theory. Do you know God has given us a similar system? Because we are in a world where the enemy is launching missiles at our minds by the second. He's trying to infiltrate our defenses, trying to poison our minds with his own thoughts, his own ideas. And if God didn't give us a system to protect us, we are finished. Under the barrage of lies that the enemy sends against us. So God gives us a system. It's not as complex as the American system. In fact, it's easily the simplest system that I know in terms of a defense system. Now, what is this system? It is simply the truth. 
For every lie the enemy launches, there is a truth that God has that we can use. It is the Bible, the Word of God. It is what Paul the Apostle calls the Word of Truth. And he encourages his protege Timothy in the same way that we must encourage ourselves to hone his skills so that this system is fully operational to bring down any missile that the enemy launches at him. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the second chapter and the 15th verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, he says this to him, 2 Timothy 2.15, he says this to him, he says, study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial. So we study, we are eager, we do our utmost to present ourselves to God. What are we presenting to God? That our study has borne fruit, that in a trial we overcame because of our study. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. That there will be trials in this life. The enemy will launch attacks at you. He will try and attack your mind. But Timothy, be prepared. Study and be eager. Do what you can do, your utmost. And present yourself to God approved by, because you have been tested by a trial and you have overcome. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. He said to Timothy, this is how we overcome. He says, you spend time in this word. You study it, you analyze it, you divide it, you teach it to others. And that prepares you for every trial that comes your way because that is our, our basic defense system against the lies of Satan. Can someone say amen to that? And so what are our lines of defense what are our lines of defense i said that three lines of defense based on the word the first line of defense jesus aptly acts that out for us when the enemy launches his attack he releases his missiles these are thoughts that are fundamentally opposed to god they are based on a foundation of lies sometimes there might be an element of truth but the ultimate ulterior motive is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. When that happens, we must automatically have in place interceptor missiles that launch themselves literally to destroy this attack of the enemy. This is what I call our primary defense system. So look at Jesus' example. The enemy comes against him by launching his own missile, which is a lie. He says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones that they become bread. What was Jesus' response? No, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It was an automatic response. The truth counters a lie. I'm not so sure that many in the church today can respond in a like manner. Because the truth is that the church today has become weak and flaky because the church does not study the Bible anymore. We've become experts at many things. We sing good songs, write songs. We, we understand technology. 
we get creating a mood environment for worship. We understand sound bites. We, we understand musical instruments. We understand all these things. But the simple basics of Bible study that is the foundation of our defense against the attack of enemy, the church has become flaky in this regard. So if we called a Bible study, how many people would show up? How many people even have a Bible study privately? How many people even get together as friends to study the Bible? We might even in some churches pray, but the study of the Bible so that our primary defense is ready. And you know this primary defense is such that these interceptor missiles, they don't need to be triggered. They are triggered automatically. The moment the radar picks up an enemy missile, it doesn't need someone to, uh, to trigger it. It takes off to intercept the enemy missile. That's how God expects us to deal with the lies of Satan because we are full of the word of God. And it, without us even activating it, as a lie comes of the word of God, the truth of God confronts it and destroys it. So he tries the enemy to introduce the thought into your mind that you're going to die young. There's no need to call a whole prayer meeting for it. No need to trouble the pastor for it. The only reason you're troubling the pastor is because you don't have a basic missile defense system. Because as soon as the thought comes, as soon as that lie comes that you're going to die young, your system should, should respond immediately. No, it is written that he will satisfy me with a long life and I will see his salvation. No, it is written that I shall come to my grave in my ripe old age like a sheaf gathered up in his season. No! That should be the response. And you turn around and go back to sleep because your missile defense system has knocked off that lie. Can someone say amen? amen. And the second line of defense of, is where the missile has actually evaded the primary defense system. The lie is actually in our heads already. You know, the truth is that most of us will find ourselves there a lot of the time. Because how many, how many are at the place where they say to themselves a lot of times, I wish I knew what I know now. I wish I knew it then. How many say that all the time? You see, because if we knew it then, we, would, we wouldn't be dealing with all this stuff. It wouldn't have entered our minds. But sometimes the reality is that the missile is already in this space. And you can imagine a missile that is launched from a country that's 6,000 miles away. You can deal with it before it gets to the borders of your country. Or it can fly over the borders and is now in the space. And when that happens, when the lie is already in the space, the thought is already in the atmosphere. It hasn't taken root yet. It's still in an early, in an early stage, but it's there. It's floating around. What's our second defense system? We have to hunt down the thoughts. The Bible says we take those thoughts captive. To hunt down a thought, you have to be intentional about it. You have to first accept that this thing is posing a bit of a problem. It's not just something that Satan tried and I've knocked it off. No, right now, this thing has got into my atmosphere. I'm beginning to think about it. It's posing a bit of a problem. I then have to be very intentional in hunting it down. I have to capture it. I have to take it captive. I have to shackle it. I have to put it in a cage. I have to incarcerate it, imprison it. I have to capture that, th that thought and ensnare that lie. I am focused. I'm, I'm a hunter. I'm hunting it down. This thing can't live in my life. I can't have it bugging me in my mind. It's beginning to grow. And I must capture it, hunt it down, take it captive. I must put it in a cage. And then I must eject it from my life. 
And how do you do that again? By the word of God. But this time it's so deliberate. It is so, it's so, de so deliberate. It is so intentional. I start getting feelings that I'm not good enough. I don't know. Where, where, did, this, where did this madness come from? You know, where did this crazy thought come from? It happened two months ago. It happened last month. And now I'm beginning to, it's beginning to creep into my life. That means that the lie has evaded my primary defense system. It's now floating around in my atmosphere. I have to hunt it down. I have to be very deliberate. I have to catch it. I have to capture it. I have to take it captive. And I have to eject it from my life. I can't handle it lightly because if I do, it is going to hit the ground and take root. And I cannot afford that in my life. And so intentionally, I go after it. I'm deliberate. I'm intentional until I capture it and eject it from my life. And I do that by the word of God. The third line of defense is where the missile has actually hit its target. The seed has been planted. It has taken root. It has started growing. In some cases, it has even started to bear fruit. So now we're not talking about lustful thoughts. We're talking about the person acting out. The person is hooked on pornography. There's not, it's not I have lustful thoughts. It's I, I am a pornographic addict. We're not talking about an irritation. We're talking about Anger has possessed the person. The person is now, the person has an anger issue. The person can lash out, can, can say things they shouldn't say. So the, 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 the missiles have hit the ground. The poison has spread. It has taken charge of that person's life. At this time, we're not trying to knock off missiles. We're not trying to take any thought captive. No, 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 no. The, thing, the thought has already given birth to babies. But we're trying now to uproot and eject. It simply has to be pulled out from where it has been planted. Jesus in Matthew the 15th chapter and the 13th verse, the Passion Translation says, every plant that my heavenly father did not plant is destined to be uprooted. This is one of those destined to be uprooted. Of course at this point is accompanied by, by very intense prayers, possibly and most likely by deliverance. Periods of dedicated fasting is, is accompanied by the radical confession of God's word. Sometimes counseling is needed, but all this is based on the word of God as the primary antidote to uprooting the plant that has been planted, that has now created a behavior, is giving birth to babies now. And the person is acting out. Can someone say amen? And we could end there in terms of our lines of defense. But how many have heard the phrase, attack is the best form of defense? How many have heard that phrase? And if you want to win this war, you don't just defend yourself. You get to a point where you, where you realize that I need to put the enemy to flight in my life. And so I'm not going to wait for him to attack me. I am going to attack him myself. But to do that, you have to have got to a point where you are now skilled as a swordsman. In the scriptures in Ephesians, the sixth chapter from verses 10 to 17, and Paul uh, lists for us uh, an organized hierarchy of wickedness that is ranged against the Christian. The scriptures say, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through the union with him. 
Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavily armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. Paul is preparing us now for warfare. He says, for we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're not contending only with physical opponents, but we're wrestling against despotisms, against powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. That's an, that's a if not that we're in Christ, that is frightening. This is what is ranged against us. Despotisms. What, a, what on earth is that? Master spirits. Spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. But he goes on to encourage us. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Uh, We're not expected to retreat. No, 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 no. He says, it doesn't matter what is ranged against you. This organized hierarchy. Put on the armor of God. Resist them in that day they come against you. Stand firmly in your place. And then he goes on to list the armor of God. And he goes through every part of the armor. The breastplate, the, the shield of faith, the, the sandals of, of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the, the, the belt of truth. And you know something that occurred to me? Doc, you know something that occurred to me? It's interesting that all this is defensive. Yeah? Breastplate, breastplate, shield, helmet, shoes to protect your feet, a belt to hold it in place, all defensive, yeah? But I then thought to myself, there isn't anything to cover a person's back. So if you turn your back on Satan, you are gone. Because there's no provision for your back. We were never intended by God to turn our back on Satan. It was contemplated that a child of God would be afraid of Satan. It's not in the plan. So no matter what Satan brings against us, we stand firm. That's what Paul says. But then all this is defensive. How do we put him on the offensive? He ends by saying the last weapon, the last part of the armor he talks about, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All the others are defensive. They protect you. But the one that allows you to attack is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The challenge the church faces today is that we have people who purport to be soldiers who don't know how to wield a sword. We have people who are going into battle whose swords are blunt. And so the enemy is picking people off, just, just dealing with people everywhere. Because we simply don't have the skill with the weapon of choice, the sword of the spirit. That's why we have to bring back Bible study in all its ramifications. Because what is Bible study? Bible study, in case, in case you don't know, Bible study is a school where we go to learn how to fight with a sword. And we go there to meet their different grades. If you watch some of these things that our son watches, some of these, some of these, these cartoons and stuff yeah, that are all over the place, there's always one master. Have you watched those things? Yeah? All the other, the, but what are those things? The ninjas. You know, then there's a master. The master is always, he always has a beard, which he strokes. He's so wise. So he teaches them how to be good swordsmen. And they're learning. It's the same. Master Doc. Many years of experience in fighting. 
So he takes a Bible study. It's a school where he wants to show you how you can become skilled to use this sword to decapitate an enemy. And he has the marks on his back to bear, to show you that I have been in some fights and I'm standing after so many years because I got used to using this sword to deal with the enemy. And sometimes it's not exciting. Because, you know, the problem is that we're, we're looking for excitement. We want to jump. We want to raise our legs. We want to run all over the place. Sometimes it is just sit down. Let me explain to you what the blood means out of the book of Leviticus. It is sometimes let's find out what, what the Bible says to us in Hosea. It is let's do a Bible study on the book of Revelations. It's not the exciting sound bites that we pick up from two Psalms. No. It is school. And as our eight-year-old son will tell us, Mama, school is not fun. Yes, it's not fun, but you want to get on in life, you need to go to school. You need to sit down there and let's understand this Bible because it's the sword of the Spirit. Let's get skilled in it. And then let's start to use it, start to declare it, confess it, decree by it. It's the only thing the enemy is afraid of. Jesus shows us that in warfare. Because when the enemy comes against Jesus... He does nothing else but say it is written. And the moment he says it is written, it's a sword that is thrust into the enemy. If a Christian cannot say it is written, that Christian has been overcome by the enemy. And most of the church cannot say it is written. When did you read Ezekiel last? Who is Habakkuk? It's not a designer. When did you study and memorize the book of Deuteronomy? What do the judges have to tell us to apply to our lives today? And the minor prophet Amos is major in this battle. You can't win by coming to church on Sunday. No. No. It's by studying to show yourself approved. By meditating on this word. By confessing it, declaring it. By shaping your world with it. That's how we win. So the enemy comes against Jesus. Jesus didn't speak in tongues. No. Pentecostal thing speaking in tongues is warfare. It is not warfare. Deliver yourself. When you speak in tongues, you don't speak to Satan. You're speaking to God. Why, why are you fighting God? If you're speaking to God, you're speaking to him about all kinds of things. But it's not warfare. You can't say, Rebo, 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 and Satan will run away. No, he's not afraid of Rebo. He doesn't understand what you're saying. For all, your, for all, your, for all you're saying, you're saying, you're saying to him, come, 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 come. He doesn't understand. And you can't use your own words in this war. You can't say, Satan, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. Where is that in the Bible? Deuteronomy 10, verse 5, leave me alone. No, you can't say that. He's not afraid of your words. It's not you he's afraid of. It's, it's Jesus he's afraid of. You can't say, pass me by, pass me, pass me, go to the other house, go leave this house alone. No, he doesn't understand that. What he understands is it is written, and then he hits him. If you can't say it is written, it is over for you. That's the truth. That's why the church is flaky. Gather th 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 thousands of people, no result. 100,000 people gathered, no result. 10,000 people, no result. The enemy is stronger with 10,000 people gathered. Sing all kinds of lovely songs. But nobody there can say it is written. Because nobody knows what is written. Because nobody opens the Bible to study it anymore. We come to church, they put it on the screen. So why do we have to study it? Nobody has opened Ephesians 6 here. It's on the screen. And nobody goes home to study and you all know what study means. You have a degree. You have some qualification. Can you compare the way you read the Bible to the way you studied for your degree? No, none of you can. You studied for your degree like it mattered. You came out and found out three years later that it was obsolete. And yet, 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 the, the Bible, you know, this is what makes life. 
Sit down at Bible study, break it down. Confess that word, believe it, hold on to it, declare it, decree it. And there are levels. You want to become a master. And I end on this note of a master. There are many masters I admire. You know, Dr. Nuzo, I admire him. He's a master. The Jew, Reverend Jew, I admire them. They're masters. But there's an old master called Lester Sumrall. Ah, Lester Sumrall. These guys were serious. They were serious. They ate the word of God. They were serious. This is a true story. There's a city in America that was praying because a darkness had come over the city. It was obvious the city was under spiritual oppression. So pastors got together. I reckon they said about 200 pastors. And we're praying for weeks, just interceding, break the darkness, break the darkness, break this present darkness. And then one day, weeks later, they gathered to pray. And as soon as they came together to pray, they sensed that the darkness has lifted. And one of the pastors, as they were celebrating, said to God, what happened? The darkness has lifted. You heard our prayers? God said, well, <laughs> I don't know about hearing your prayers, but what happened was that my son Lester came into the city last night. Do you know what happened? The devils understand this, who is the master of, the, of this thing. Lester, Sumrov's plane landed. As his plane landed and the, jet, the man of God, unknown to him, was coming off the plane, all the demons got together. A master in the game has arrived. We have to leave to fight another day. Everybody vacate this city. Lester Sumrall didn't have to do a fast, didn't have to pray. Why? Because he was a master. You watch the movies. When the master arrives, how many know the, 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 the game plan changes? Because these are not the boys anymore. This is the master. Study to become a master. It has no age. You, know, you don't have to wait till you're 80. At 15, you can be a master. Because you've spent time in the word of God. Time. You become skilled at the use of the sword. Some Christians wake up and hell has a headache. Some Christians wake up and hell plans a pancake party on their head. Because there's nothing they can do about it. Nothing. You know, phone pastor generally, phone badge. Just be phoning all the pastors all over the place. Pastors are tired. They are human. They sleep. They slumber. When you need them, they are sleeping and snoring. Take the word of God in your hand. Can someone say amen? Amen. 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 Let's wage war against the enemy and make sure that he does not steal our identity. Hallelujah. Give God a clap offering. Go on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We bless you, oh God. We bless you. You know, the whole thing is about identity. The enemy must not be able to tell you who you are. You must always be able to tell the enemy, I am, in the same way that Jesus did. Amen? Hallelujah. Bow your heads. Is there anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? If you would just slip your hands up wherever you are. This is an opportunity to start a relationship with him. You're online, you're watching, you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Slip your hands up wherever you are. Go on. I want to pray with you. If you're here, slip your hands up. If you're online, follow the instructions on the screen. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for helping us to become skilled swordsmen. We exalt your name. In Jesus' name. Together we say, Amen. Rise to your feet. Let's make a declaration as to who you are. Yeah? Let's make this declaration as to who you are. It's a confession about your identity. Don't let anybody tell you who you are. Find out what God says you are and then declare it yourself. Hallelujah. One to go. Let's make these declarations. I am a servant of the Lord and he takes pleasure in my prosperity. I am redeemed from the curse of the law 
because my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ became a curse for me. I am a crown of glory and honor and a royal diadem in God's hand. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the redeemed of the Lord. I receive all the benefits of redemption into my life today. I am as bold as a lion. I have overcome fear and timidity. I am kind and tender-hearted to everyone I meet. When I am wronged, I forgive as Christ has forgiven me. I am not anxious about anything. I receive grace today to commit my request to God with a heart of thanksgiving. I am steadfast of mind. He keeps me in perfect peace because I trust Him. I am blessed. He surrounds me with favor as with a shield. I am no longer called forsaken or desolate. Today I declare my new names to be Hepzibah, my delight is in him, or if you're a man, and Beulah, married. I am healed. Jesus has borne my sickness on his body, and by his stripes I am healed. Go and give God a clap offering. Go on. That's who you are. That's who you are. Don't let anybody tell you any other thing. That's who you are. Declare it, declare it, declare it. That's who you are. You may be seated in God's wonderful presence. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.